0: This morning we begin with a prequel, Mother's Day, the origin story. It actually has its root, at least in our country, Uh, during the time of the Civil War, there was a woman by the name of Anne Reeves Jarvis. She was an advocate for peace, and she would uh, provide care for soldiers who were wounded on both sides of the war. And When the war was finished, she began to encourage these uh, mothers' work groups that they would pursue the development of public health in their communities. Then she partnered along with Julia Ward Howe, uh, who was also an advocate for peace, and and they encouraged and campaigned for a Mother's Day for Peace, in which moms across our nation would... um, uh, ask of the politicians that no more would their husbands and sons be sent into war. When Ann Reeves Jarvis died in 1905, it was her daughter, Anna Jarvis, Anna Jarvis, and this is her picture here on the screen. Anna wanted to uh, honor and celebrate her mom, and so she began a campaign, and in 1907, she held the first real uh, worship service that that uh, had part of the service committed to celebrating moms. Her campaign went well beyond that, though, and in 1908, there was a bill before Congress to establish a day for Mother's Day. They laughed it off. They said, what are we going to have next, a day for mothers-in-laws? That didn't stop Anna. By 1911, every state in the country was already celebrating Mother's Day. Her campaign campaign, uh, went national. So it was in 1914 that President Wilson, through proclamation, set aside the second Sunday of May as the official Mother's Day for our nation. Maybe you were tracking some of the development. It was a day that had its origin in peace, in advocating peace and wholeness and wellness for the family and for your neighbor's family. It moved then on to honoring and celebrating and and making note of moms, something we didn't mention. Maybe we know it through our experience today. It ended up becoming commercialized, and quite quickly, Anna Jarvis herself ended up campaigning against Mother's Day simply for how commercialized it had become. Her intention was for these honest and open and authentic connections between children and parents and Instead, it became something that other people began to make money off of. So how about Mother's Day today? Maybe your experience is a little bit like mine. It seems to be something as wonderful as humanity can be and as messy as humanity is. And that there are many, 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 many stories each differing a little bit from another. In Scripture, there is indeed teaching. In fact, no small amount of teaching for both mothers and fathers, and also offspring of parents. And so we have our text before us today, and in it is are mentioned mothers and fathers, and, but its aim is at offspring. That's where the challenge uh, exists. That's where the exhortation is given. So, if you would please open your Bibles. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 23, and we'll look at verses 22 through 25. We'll put it on the screen as well. Proverbs 23, verses 22 through 25. And so, hear the Word of God this morning from this text. Listen to your Father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. By truth and do not sell it, by wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. May God bless the reading of his word. May God bless us as well. Before we move on to the main part of the message, I just want to take a a short bit of time here to notice a couple of things with you. You know, when we read through different parts of the Bible, we will quickly notice that they don't all come across the same way. There can uh, be a different feel to different stories or different experiences, different parts of the Bible. There are narrative portions. There are code portions where different codes are listed out. And then there can be poetic times as well. Do you know that in these verses, there are some structural tools that the author used uh, that are often used in poetry and in wisdom sayings? And so let's take a look at the structure pieces of this together just quickly. Notice the parallelism. I've tried to highlight it uh, with a um, different colored text. But in, in the first verse, the, uh, verse 22 you can see, listen to your father who gave you life, your mother when she was old is then the second, in the second line, the father who gave you life, the mother um, when she is old. This is a certain kind of parallelism. There's some kind of connection between these two parts of the line where it's really establishing from your very first beginning to when you're older in age, and they're setting up that, that here's your family, that from the beginning to the end, here's going to be an instruction for you. We can even see a parallel, and I didn't highlight it, but there's a parallel between listen and do not despise. In the next line, we find by truth, and then we end up seeing that it's wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Truth is in parallel with wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And then for verse 24, the father of the righteous, the righteous is in parallel with a wise son or a wise daughter. And so they help us to understand what's the connection? How does one help to explain the other? And finally, in that last one, let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. Be glad. Rejoice. What we also have in this text is what they call an inclusio, and we can look for these clues from time to time, that in verse 22 what is stated is restated in verse 25, and that lets us know that there's some kind of a connection between the beginning and the end and everything else in between. And so in the beginning we see that it's the father who gave you life and the mother when she is old. And then in the last verse there, your father and mother be glad, let her who bore you rejoice. And so there's a connection from the beginning to the end. We see the text holds together. All right, with that little background information, and that can just help us when we read the rest of the Bible, what I want us to be able to talk about today, what I sense um, God would have for us in this passage, is that we're going to uh, look at three different parts that help us unpack this text. We're going to look at the cast of characters. We're going to look at the essential commodity, and then we're also going to look at the actions and outcomes. Cast of characters—that's where we'll begin. You know, if you go to a stage play, a, a, a theater where there's a stage play, that more than likely you will be given a, a, what some people will call a playbill or a program. And if you if you thumb through that program, you'll first find a ton of ads. It's expensive to put on a play, and that's part of how they make their income. But if you look for it, you'll actually find a description of the cast and crew. And the cast or the crew will have some of their biographical data there, some of their work history, and you'll be able to see what they start in before. Maybe there's a quote from them along the way. So we're going to do a bit of a program, a playbill for our passage, the cast in our text involves the father and mother. There's a little bit of a tweak just in in the way that the sentences are written that there's a little bit more emphasis on the mom in this passage. But these aren't just any parents. We have to remember that that this passage comes to us within Scripture. So, these parents are part of the covenant community, that God had established a covenant with his people, that, that these would be offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and these would be the 12 tribes, and, and this covenant coming to them through Moses, and, and they're part of this covenant family. And so these moms and dads are a part of that covenant family. You know, in my house, when it came to raising us in a certain way, um, it had to include a love for the Dallas Cowboys. And maybe in your house, there was something that, that there had to, if you were going to grow up in your house, there had to be a, a, a love for um, the Chicago Bulls or the, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals or, or something else. But we grew up with Tom Landry. My parents worked for him before he became the head coach. And, and so there was just something connected. And our family comes from Dallas and... And so that was just part of the fiber of our makeup. Well, to be parents within the covenant community meant that the covenant was part of the the makeup, the fiber of the makeup, the tapestry of the family. And so mom and dad were living that out. In fact, we have this instruction for us uh, that comes, and maybe you've paid attention to this passage in the past. It's quite familiar. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. These were the instructions to to people within that covenant. The words read like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. Get this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And, she, and, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. To get a sense of just how much a part of the household experience the covenant would be. That the children would grow up in this environment so that the parents are bringing forward the covenant to their children. And so it's no surprise that in a, a place like Proverbs, and we're talking about wisdom, that there's going to be this instruction of, to the children, to the offspring, pay attention to mom and dad. As they bring the covenant of God to you and, and, and tell you all about it and, and point you in the direction of it, Listen, do not despise. In the Bible, the household is the economic and political and social and spiritual center of the people. Now, when we get to the New Testament, something quite interesting takes place. We find this in Matthew chapter 12 verses 46 through 50. Here's Jesus. This part of his ministry We find that uh, someone's coming to him and, and making an announcement that his mom and his brothers are outside. It goes like this this is Matthew 12, verses 46 and following. While Jesus was still speaking, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But Jesus replied to the man who had brought the news to him Who is my mother and who are my brothers? and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. When we talk about being the covenant community, when Jesus comes into this world, he establishes the new covenant. It used to be a covenant that was defined by uh, by a lot of genetics, by, by the blood of the family, by the blood of mom and dad, and having children and being brought up within those tribes of people. Yes, outsiders could come in and become a part of it, but it was the tribes of Israel that were the chosen people, the, the covenant people of God. And now as Jesus comes into this world and He establishes the new covenant in Himself, it is through His blood that the people have their new identity And so we find in the New Testament places where we're called as the church, as people of God, we're the household of God. Let's also take a look at another place that Jesus talks about our relations within the body of Christ. This is in Luke chapter 12, and it's verses, uh, we'll just look at verse 26. It says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus here using that tool of of, of, of substantial exaggeration. He says, listen, your love for me, your devotion to me is to be so deep and all-encompassing that your connection with your own blood family would be minuscule in comparison. Even that it would seem like hatred, rejection, that Jesus becomes first in all things. In other words, that our relationships would be defined by the covenant in Christ. We know in this world we have different kinds of parents we have bio parents and genetic parents, adoptive parents. They talk about functional or de facto parents. With these passages, we open up the idea of spiritual parents. Parents, moms, dads that would speak to us the covenant of Christ. So, in the cast, our mothers and fathers that, that within a covenant community, we have these, these uh, others that would speak into us, the very covenant of God. And as that comes to us in Christ, these spiritual moms and dads. And for some of us, those spiritual moms and dads will be our biological parents or our adoptive parents. For others of us, we may seek beyond our own biological parents and find spiritual parents elsewhere. Now, the other character, and as I have already alluded to, Uh, It's you. You're the other character in this text. I'm the other character in this text. This text is really pointed at us, that we would be the sons and daughters listening to the teaching of God through these parents. All right, so if that's the cast of characters, let's look at the essential commodity the essential commodity. Now, there is a posting on BuzzFeed's uh, website of 26 things that you absolutely need to own. They're all supposedly under $10. I have checked. It seems that inflation has kicked in because they're not all under $10. Now, I figured 26 was going to be a stretch for us to all hang in there and pay attention to. So here's just five things that stood out to me from that list. Things you absolutely need need to have, need to own for yourself. Uh, Here is the first one. Now, actually, the first two are quite practical. The first one is this, a tiny USB drive. You need it. It's not that expensive. Having one with you, you can download information, take it with you, take files, pictures, whatever it is. Second one is this, a convenient first aid kit. Who doesn't need a convenient first aid kit? That band-aid whenever you need it. The third one is this, cute, succulent planters. I need that dog, right? Put that on your desk, take it with you wherever you go. Who doesn't need that? Then I found out you can actually buy this, a tin of bacon salt. Yes, bacon, salt, put it together. Everything's going to be better with bacon salt on it. And finally, I saw this. I actually need to have this. I'm going to try and find this. These are side bowls. How many times have you put ketchup or barbecue sauce or ranch dressing on your plate, and then it gets connected to the, the fruit that you put on there? and you just, It just doesn't work. So here you can get a little bowl that actually attaches to the side of your plate. Incredible. What a world we live in. Got to have them. Well, according to the Bible, there is an essential commodity that we need to have something we need to buy and not sell, something we need to have for ourselves. And we're taking buying and selling and stretching it just a little bit here. We need the wisdom of God. We need God's wisdom in our life. Listen, if you're knowledgeable of the Old Testament, you know that that there's a focus on wisdom. In fact, there are whole books that are given to wisdom, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. There's there's God's wisdom comes forward, not just in those two books, but, but elsewhere as well. It just pops up, God's wisdom, God's wisdom. It's also part of the New Testament, however. We find places like James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ephesians five fifteen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Luke 21, 15, here's Jesus. Jesus saying, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Wisdom. We're intended to have the wisdom of God in our lives. You know, in our text, when we look at our text, the words that come out, there's the word truth. The word truth, you know, the Hebrew word behind this is a word that means faith and and firmness. It's even a, a, a root. The root is connected to the word amen. Let it be so. Let it be true. Let it be right. We need the truth that we're to buy this truth. And again, we're not actually going around buying it, but this is what we need to have. This is the essential commodity. This is what we need to be able to receive from God. And so in the parallelism that takes place in the verse, we have truth that is then also explained as wisdom, instruction, Understanding. We need God's wisdom in our lives. In verse 24, we see the parallel between righteous and the wise son or daughter. And to be wise is to live a righteous life, a life that's aligned with the very goodness and correctness and holiness and justice and love of God. That our lives should look like that wisdom. We need to have that in our lives. In this world, we have all kinds of wisdom. We, and I remember many times in my own uh, journey of life that people will uh, connect to the idea of common sense. Common sense is a form of wisdom. Just, hey, pay attention to these things. In addition to common sense, there can be financial wisdom, intellectual wisdom. That would be some kind of of a philosophy. We can have tribal wisdom. Whenever we're part of a tribe, that tribe thinks here's the right way to apply the knowledge in this situation. That's a working definition that others have come up with for wisdom, the right application of knowledge in a given situation. And so for part of a tribe, they're saying, no, this is the way. This is the way you apply that knowledge in this situation. We can have folk religion. There can be religious religion wisdom that has nothing to do with a relationship with God, but just becomes part of our institutional religious experience. There can be business savvy street smarts. Everyone coming up with their understanding of the right application of knowledge in a given situation. But the Bible purports for us, it puts forward that God's wisdom is altogether different. Listen to this from Isaiah 55 verse 8. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Psalm 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the this, this sense of awe, the appropriate sense of awe in God's presence that, that He is so much greater and so much more powerful, that He's of a whole different order and that right kind of respect and fear and being overwhelmed, which is how great and grand and amazing God is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then the line goes on. All those who practice it have a good understanding. So not just a feeling, but living out that respect, that, that bowing before God. And then finally in 1 Corinthians 1.24, 1 Corinthians 1.24, Paul writes this. But to those who are called, so this is all Christians, all children of the new covenant, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If we want to know the wisdom of God, all we have to do is to turn to Jesus Christ. For in Christ, in His teaching, in the way He lived His life, in His ongoing presence in our lives, that we find God's wisdom. Tozer, in his writing on wisdom, says, There is such a thing... As that which cannot be improved upon, which God has. And then there is that which can be improved upon, which man has. When it comes to wisdom, anything that we could come up with ourselves, any of our other kinds of things, business savvy, uh, street smarts, tribal wisdom, whatever it might be, that could always be improved upon. But when we receive wisdom from God, it is that which cannot be improved upon. Listen to this. Jesus and his wisdom. To die to self is to live abundantly. To die to self is to live abundantly. You know, in this world, common sense just says that doesn't make sense. Our tribal wisdom says no, in order to have life to the fullest, you need to have more power, more money, more control. Jesus says stuff like, in so many words to follow Him is freedom. To be a follower of Christ is actually to have true freedom. To be His servant, to be His slave, to bow to Him is to have the best freedom we could ever have. This is the essential commodity we're meant to have, the very wisdom of God living out in our lives. Okay, so Uh, On to actions and outcomes. So far we've talked about the cast of characters. That would be like the subject in the sentence. Then we've talked about the essential commodity. That would be like a direct object. Now we point our attention toward the verbs and the responses. So first, the verbs for offspring. Verbs for you and for me. In verse 22, listen and do not despise. Pay attention as the covenant community talks to us. As our spiritual parents instruct us, receive that good word. Listen to it and do not despise it. Buy and do not sell. Make sure it's yours. Make sure you're you're bringing in God's wisdom as it comes to us through Scripture, through our spiritual parents, our spiritual moms and dads. In other words, we're to pursue, hunger after, incorporate, yearn for, give ourselves to, prioritize, focus on, chase after, hunt down, and incorporate into our lives the wisdom of God, His truth, His instruction, His understanding. How do we do this? First of all, we let God grow in us a biblical fear of the Lord. God, would you grow in my heart a sense of your greatness Would you help me to go from wherever I happen to be right now, and would you continue to let me know who I am and who you are, and that I might know that distinction and and receive all of who you are as much as you reveal to me that I would be defined by you? Let God grow in us a biblical fear of the Lord. The second thing we can do is seek out mothers and fathers who will speak wisdom into our lives. For some of us, that will be our biological parents, or our adoptive parents, or uh, our genetic parents. For others, we'll be looking around. There's this man that was, uh, before he uh, passed, that Mao Long was one of my spiritual fathers. I'm blessed to have a, a bio mom and a bio dad that believe in the Lord, and I know not everybody has that. But even though I had the two of them to have the gift of somebody like Mao Long, who would just speak the covenant into my life. Seek out mothers and fathers who will speak God's wisdom into our lives. And thirdly, be student practitioners. Be student practitioners of God's Word, that we just don't look at it, we just don't study it, but we become practitioners of it. Those are the offspring verbs, to listen and do not despise, to buy and do not sell. Now here come the parental outcomes, gladness. And rejoicing. You know, the words used in our text are the ones that are also used whenever people experience the goodness of God. In the Bible, these words for gladness and rejoicing are what people do in response to when God shows his goodness. So our choice is providing reason for others to rejoice. And let me make sure that we just free each other up. It's not about earning our parents' approval. It's not about that. It's not about meeting our parents' expectations. No, ours is to prioritize living according to God's wisdom because it's the best way to live. And therein, our spiritual parents will rejoice because of the blessing to us, the blessing to others, and the blessing to God that that kind of life brings. Anna Jarvis sought to celebrate and honor mothers and moms. And for many in our country, this will be a great day to express thanks and love to the one or to the ones who serve as moms in this world. It's also a day that for some of us, that brings about memories of loss or struggle or disappointment or even deep hurts. And so some of us will find ourselves enjoying brunches and the giving and receiving of flowers, while others of us will seek out these quiet places simply to reflect, to remember, or maybe out to seek out the noisy places that we would be distracted. Our little text points our attention to a different focus, A focus on the best path for engendering celebration in our spiritual parents, including our spiritual moms. It's a path that's not so much focused on celebrating moms per se as it is on being offspring of moms and children of God. It gives us the path that God would have us live. It's a path that pursues and follows, and incorporates the very wisdom of God. And as it is in the New Testament, this wisdom is none other than Jesus Christ Himself for all those who are part of the covenant community. Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. And so on this Mother's Day, may we be encouraged as offspring of mothers to pursue Christ Himself in all that we contemplate, in all that we say and in all that we do for this is the way that provides for gladness and rejoicing would you pray with me Father we thank you we thank you that throughout scripture there just the revelation of your heart for us in this world and that this little set of verses in the book of Proverbs can be a blessing to us even today So we give ourselves into your hands that indeed your wisdom would be front and center in our lives and we would live according to your ways and that the fullness of that, the the blessing of that would be ours and it would be that which others around us experience. We thank you for those who have spoken into our lives, our spiritual moms and dads, the, the ones who have articulated the the very heart uh, that belongs to you, the way of Christ. We rejoice that you gather us together as your children, and we give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.